Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will walk through one of the darkest moments in the Passion Narrative, where Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and abandoned. There are three characters who live out these roles of betrayer, arrester, and abandoner, and we will examine how their story is somewhat parallel to our own story. Thanks for listening today as we encounter Jesus as he begins his journey to the cross alone, without anyone by his side, and that he would truly become our rescuer. When, uh, when the kids get hurt, they cry out for mom. That tends to be how it goes, right? Stubbed toe, bruised knee. You hear the shout piercing through the hallways, upstairs, downstairs, Mom! Right? Uh, but what I have found is when they're uh, really in trouble, they call for Dad. That's when they break out the big guns, right? you got to call for Dad when you're really in need. I can remember uh, one moment in my own life uh, when my sister and I had to cry out for my dad. Uh, I think I may have told the story of our, our camping trip when we were small and we were stuck in the back of the pickup truck and uh, not stuck there. My parents intentionally put us there. That was our, our bed for the night for my sister and I. And the, the rains uh, moved in and the storm moved in and the lightning felt like it was falling right upon us. And my sister was crying her eyes out. I was trying to console her and it wasn't working. And then I started to panic too. And here in my desperation, we started screaming for our dad. And, and I'll never forget him coming and opening the back of that truck just with a grin from ear to ear, just having the best time in the storm while we were panicking. Because to us, it was the end of the world. But uh, to him, it was a chance for his kids to cry out to him. Uh, this became a pattern in our lives. There was another moment when my sister and I were driving back from college in, um, in Ohio. And she had this old... I think it was a Nissan. All I remember is it had six speeds. That's all I remember. You could keep shifting this thing. It was a lot of fun to drive. But we're coming through uh, Green Bay, and we're making our way back. And it's, I think, for Christmas, so there's snow all over the place, but it's not too cold. And pretty soon, uh, the car starts making a couple of sounds that don't seem quite normal. And then next thing you know, acceleration is gone, and you can press the gas and rev it all day, but it's not moving forward. And here we are on the side of the road. So who do we call? We call for dad. Yeah. And uh, he says, where are you? And I said, somewhere south of Wasaki, I thought. And, I mean, it turns out we were a good half hour south of Wasaki. We were a little bit further than he expected. But there he came with the truck and the tow strap and uh, came to our rescue, came to our aid. Because that's what a dad does. When you cry out to him, he's there. And uh, what do you think the ride back was for us? A lecture is out. I heard that might might have been. That's not at all. It was it was joy. It was thanks. It was it was he was there for us. He bailed us out, and we were grateful. And then my, you know, my sister was depressed because her heart car had to get fixed, right? But um, what about you? What what about you when you're in trouble? Who, who do you call when you're in times of need? And and what is Jesus's response for us when we cry out to Him? Uh, This morning, our message is entitled, Our Rescuer, and this is what we're going to see our Lord to be. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22 as we continue to march ever 
ever presently towards the cross. Uh, to me, in my time of preparation and looking through this, honestly, it feels like a it feels like a bad dream. That's what it feels like. That the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is one which I wish wouldn't have had to happen. It seems like the trials that come and the scourging that comes and the accusations that come every every moment is painful. And I kind of just wish it didn't have to be. But this is the cost of the penalty of our sin. And our passage this morning is a unique one that's particularly difficult. And as we look into Luke chapter 22, we're going to see that there's really three characters that are uh, outlined. We're, we're going to briefly look at each of those three and then give some reflection over to how Jesus would speak to us to rescue us. Luke chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this! And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers and the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion? You would have come with me with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with them! But he denied it. Woman, I, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is a tough section. It's a tough passage because it reveals to us what we have been observing even so far in our service. Uh, that Jesus, on the path to the cross, goes by himself. He goes all alone. The first individual that we encounter here is Judas. Uh, Judas was one of the twelve. 
Judas was one who was with Jesus from the beginning. But you see, Judas's commitment to Jesus was only skin deep. It was only lip service. Jesus never had control over Judas's heart. What a very scary observation. A, a reminder to recognize that you, you may have been going to church for years. I mean, Judas was walking with Jesus for years. And Judas himself had never gotten to the place where he truly loved Jesus as Messiah. Now we know from those who followed Jesus that there was a diversity within the disciples. Some were uh, career men, fishermen. You had Matthew who worked a desk job. You had some who were, who were zealots. They were just fired up for the kingdom of God. Judas was the one who kept his hands on the money bag the whole entire time. He served as the treasurer for the group. And How very often do we find in scripture how deceitful riches and wealth can be? And we know from the testimony of the gospel writers that that was part of Judas's temptation in his life. That even as the woman comes to anoint Jesus and pours out the perfume, Judas looks at that and says, couldn't that have been sold? Couldn't that money have been used better? He just misses the point. And Judas here is one who at this stage reaches the fullness of God's purpose for him. Uh, I have him labeled as the fake. That's what he is. He, he's a faker. It's not genuine. It's not from the heart. It's, it's perhaps just going through the motions. And Judas here comes. And the stark contrast, the insidiousness with which the betrayal happens is highlighted by Jesus' question. Did you see it? Take a look again. At the end of verse 48, Judas are you betraying the Son of Man? And this is one of Jesus' favorite phrases for himself. It's one that harkens back to Daniel's letter. But it's one that shows that Jesus is one as a representative for all mankind. And here he says, are you betraying the Son of Man with a, with a kiss? You know, we have people in our world today who have had their hearts broken by... Um, hearts broken in love, right? They, they've had those who they wanted to be committed to. They dreamed dreams about, and it was supposed to look like this, and it didn't. Betrayed. Lost. Dream has been shattered. It's over. Uh, Jesus, I think, knows what that feels like. Jesus loved his disciples. Not in a romantic way, but in a committed way. In a way where he invested himself, all that he was to them. And here is one who sat at the table with him. One whom Jesus even shared the meal with. And he comes to betray him, not by pointing him out with his finger. Not by identifying him by his clothing, but he comes and betrays him with a kiss. Judas is a fake. That's all he is in this story. Uh, the commentators speculate as to why Jesus ha uh, Judas had to betray Jesus. Uh, in this manner, and the thought is this, that it was, it was nighttime, it was late, they were there in the garden, and so you have all the disciples gathered there. And as Judas leads this ragtag group of soldiers, who as we can see, even from Luke's account, is quite extensive. He says in verse 52 that those present are the chief priests, the officers, the temple guard, and the elders. So you, you've got the folks of the community there. You have the religious leaders there. You have what in their day would have been the military officers there, all being led by this one fake. Because they bribed him off for 30 pieces of silver. That's all it took to buy Judas' allegiance. But there in the darkness, 
Well, how are we going to know which one it is? And Judah says, I know. I'll give you the sign. You won't be able to mistake it. It'll be the one whom I approach to show this half-hearted, lackluster, insidious form of affection. A kiss. Judas is a fake. You kind of have to examine, ask the question, when have I been fake? When has my faith looked like it was just going through the motions? Am I at all like Judas? Have I ever run the risk of being tempted by riches and wealth and therefore forsaking the name of Jesus? Have I ever offered a false form of affection to Jesus? This is our first example to evaluate this morning. Our second one uh, comes after this. In verse 49, Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen. They said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? I I want you to see how their uh, adrenaline starts to pump. Can you imagine? Come on. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You you, you start picking on my... Excuse me? Yeah, you you want to say something? You want to go? Right? Come on, guys. You get get a little bit of that, that hot red blood flowing, right? Well, that's these disciples. That's what they're saying. Jesus, look at these guys who are coming. Shall we strike with our swords? And in fact, one of them does. Who do you think that was? That was Peter. Yeah. So we know from John's gospel a little bit more information than Luke gives us. But look at this. One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Uh, John also tells us the name of this guy is, is Malchus. I'm calling Malchus the fighter. So Malchus here is one who certainly has heard of Jesus. Uh, my guess is, though, he never really had the courage to follow Jesus. He, he's called the servant of the high priest. Now, the high priest household and all of the religious leaders, they despise Jesus. Because Jesus comes and he overturns all of their little forms of religion. Everything that they think is appropriate and proper, Jesus doesn't do. He and his disciples, they don't wash their hands the way the ceremonial washing. He and his disciples seem to not respect the Sabbath day. And these are all the rules by which they have set up to know if you're righteous or not. It'd be like today if I showed up at church wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Some of you would be like, I don't know about that church. I don't know about that pastor, right? Yeah, but you want to know something? It doesn't matter what you wear. You hear me? It does not matter what you wear. God does not look on the outside. What's he look at? He looks at the heart. This is what God cares about. And there's some of us in our world today that might think a little too self-righteous about how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to act. And, oh, did you hear? And You know what? That's acting just like the high priests. And Malchus comes with the rest of them, ready, ready to pick a fight. Jesus says, I, I've been teaching with you this whole time and you come with me with clubs and swords as if I'm some like terrorist Malchus comes ready to pick a fight I think he comes as a coward though he comes not as one who's willing to listen to God and therefore listen to Jesus instead he goes with those who are most powerful right those who are currently in the seat of control the religious leaders and that's exactly where you find them and so peter comes uh, now peter spends his time doing what casting his nets right he is not practicing sword handle all right we can see this is true because he takes a swing and where does he hit the guy in the ear now there's a few thoughts on this the, the the first might be that first of all peter's just a really bad shot right that may simply be it just 
glancing blow. However, I think what may have happened is uh, that Peter took a swing to just do the guy in, lop his head right off, and Malchus does one of these. Right? And the sword comes like a cartoon and just glances right off. And there flies in slow motion the ear of the servant of the high priest. Um, If you've ever seen uh, a football game that got really, uh, really intense in one of these Lions Packers games, right? You know, things are starting to get a little bit heated, right? Um, The commentators start using words like chippy. It's getting real chippy out there. Boy, it's getting chippy, right? Well, you, you know that something's going to happen. One guy's going to do one thing, and then they go toe-to-toe, right? Helmets are right with one another, and what do you see the rest of the guys do? Do they all sit there nice and calm? No. no. Do, do they do like on my kid's soccer game, and everybody takes a knee and just rests, right? Is that, is that what they do? Or does everyone kind of get into it? Like, let's go, right? They all, and that's this moment. I want you to see that this moment right here is the, is the time where the disciples are about to get into it. And the soldiers there, they brought their swords, so they're ready to go. But Jesus, he blows the referee's whistle. He says, he says stop it. The, the Greek word for this, it's actually a little phrase here. It's incredible. It's, it's no more of this. Almost Jesus saying, in effect, how can this be your response? How can this be what you do? And he'll give the phrase in other Gospels, He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. This is not my kingdom. This is not how my people operate. This is not how the children of God should treat those who abuse them. And and if you were watching this in a movie, the, the movie here would change scenes back to a moment where Jesus is teaching them. And he says, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good, not harm to those. Repay evil with good. That, that would have been the scene that we would see. And then it would flash back. And here Jesus has blown the whistle and everything's stopped. And everybody's kind of waiting. And there's this hushed hesitation for what's going to happen next. And here comes the Son of Man, betrayed by a kiss. And he picks up the ear. And he touches it to Malchus's head. And he heals him. Malchus is the most confused human who has ever lived. Here's Malchus saying, I came to arrest you, and and, and your guys attacked me, and now you heal me. That, mm, uh, you see how the the computer kind of stutters here and doesn't compute? This is Malchus. Uh, If anyone here has seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, have have you seen that show? So there's a moment that I think that the director did a great job depicting this. Because as the rest of the soldiers there chase after the disciples and the disciples disband, it shows Malchus stunned. He's frozen. He doesn't understand what's just happened to him. He comes as the fighter, but he comes as one who is healed. And he is, again, for us, an example that we need to evaluate our own lives to ask the question, what side are we on? Is it that we just want to be with the majority, right? Because Malchus was just on the majority. Those who were in power, those who had control, well, I'm going to be with them. When I was a young person in in high school, uh, I remember our teacher asking the question of uh, our faith being played out practically uh, with respect to certain teachings in science. And she asked the question, does anyone here believe in creation? 
you had one hand, the whole class. You had one hand go up. That was, that was a little bit tough because I didn't go with the crowd. None of my friends raised their hands. Not a single other student in that biology classroom uh, stood on the side of the minority. I was all alone. That's tough. Listen, you're going to have that opportunity in your life as well. When it comes to your, your family time, when everybody who doesn't want anything to do with God and they're having a good time, how are you going to act? You know they're going to ridicule you. You know they're going to scorn you. You know they're going to tease you, you black sheep. You never fit in here. What about the workplace? Right? When all the guys are talking about having a good time afterwards or just carrying on with language that has no business being in our lives, what are you going to do? How are you going to interact? Are you going to take a stand? Because if you do, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be an outcast. You'll be a black sheep. Malchus didn't. Instead, he was on the side looking to pick a fight. So we've seen Judas as an example. We've looked at Malchus, and now Luke records for us one other person. That's Peter. We're calling him the fearful. Peter is that one who now has been humbled to put his sword down. Peter is the one who promised, even if all the other disciples, even if they don't follow you, I will. I'll follow you even to death. And Peter didn't know the extent of what he was pledging. Verse 54 shows us the cowardness of Peter's fear. He followed, but how did he follow? What's your Bible say? At a distance. Do you see that? He followed at a distance. I, I can't, can't get too close. People might associate me with him, so let's just kind of watch and see what happens here. Maybe he's going to take care of this. And I don't Did you see? Did someone see us? Shh, quiet. All right, coast is clear. We, we can continue now. This, this is Peter sneaking his way behind, try, trying all the while to make sure that he's watching what happens, but to always stay in the shadows and never really be highlighted. And there at the uh, outer court of the high priest's house, as they, in the, now the middle of the night, they've got a fire roaring. Suddenly the, the light from the flames can illuminate Peter's face. And sure enough, one of them says, Hey, I know you. You were there. I know you. And Peter's response is to deny it. Uh, you, you got the wrong guy. Now, have you guys ever faced temptation like that? Temptation where you knew that you screwed up. Come on. You knew that you screwed up, right? So you, you, you'll make that mistake once. But look what happened to Peter. He's got, he got another opportunity. Someone comes up again a little while later. Verse 57. A woman said... Um, or verse 56, this man was with him. Peter denied it. A little while later, someone else saw and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Straight up denial. I am not with him. He made the mistake again. What's controlling Peter at this point? What, what, what is ruling his decisions and his actions? Peter, Peter is not controlled here by faith. Yeah, we got to give him a little bit of slack. How many of us would have been like Peter? Right. Yeah, right. Every one of us be like Peter, right? So we, we are fortunate to see on the flip side of Easter uh, where our hope lies, that we have nothing to fear. But, you know, all of one of us would have done the same thing. This last one is the worst of all. Verse 59, about an hour later. Uh, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. They got him now. They got him because what is a Galilean doing in Jerusalem? You all, those fishermen, following that rebel Jesus. I can smell it on you. You're Galilean. The way that they would probably identify this, not perhaps from Peter's disposition or clothes, 
but they have a, a slight different dialect in how they speak. Um, you can identify if someone were to come up here from down south and say, how y'all folks doing today? Right? You'd say, yeah, you're from Alabama. You're not from the UPA. Yeah. We, you, you'd know right away, and that's very similar to the way they perhaps identified uh, Peter. The other gospel writers record at this moment in verse 60, they say Peter starts calling down curses on himself. I mean, he's just acting like the world. Son of a... And he's just, are you kidding me? This, I am not with him. I swear I'm not with him. As heightened as he can, Peter denies that he has anything to do with Jesus in that moment. That's the moment. Jesus in his sovereignty knew this would happen before the rooster crows today. You'll deny me not once, not twice, three times because, Peter, you're controlled by fear in Jesus. And it, Luke says this. Luke says he turned and looked at Peter. Oh, right? This is the moment. Peter knows he's failed. There he's fixed eye to eye with the Messiah, the one that he pledged, who is now bound, who is now in chains. And it says, as Peter recalls Jesus' words, he goes out and he weeps bitterly. How many times have you, by your decisions in life, denied your sovereign Lord? How many times, by your behavior, have you lived like the unredeemed? How many times have you even publicly, for the sake of your own reputation, being controlled by fear, never spoke up? We're Peter as well. The last person that I want to look at here is it's you and I. And, and the place where we are seen is in the way in which Jesus has rescued us. Look with me at verse 53. As Jesus responds, every day I was with you in the temple courts. And you didn't lay a hand on me. But this is your hour. When what? When darkness Reigns. Jesus goes to the cross alone for you. Jesus does not go with support. Jesus does not go with a plan B. He could have called how many angels? He could have called 10,000 angels. You thought the disciples were ready to go. You ready to go? Let's go. Imagine the angels. Imagine the angels looking down on this moment thinking like, oh, you guys ready? Are you? Why is he not calling us? Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening? That moment he could have called 10,000 angels. But he doesn't. Why? Because he suffered and died alone. He suffered and died alone. He did this for you. You and I, we are the forgiven. We are those whom our sins are not held to our account. They've been washed clean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song will ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Jesus knows this is happening. He says this is darkness. This is the hour of darkness. There, there was one time when I was on the mission field uh, where we have this kind of touristy place that we take our, our groups, our mission teams to come. And it's a cave. It's, it's a really bizarre cave. The, the, geog- the, um, the landscape there is made of lime, limestone. 
and uh, limestone gets eroded away by, by water. And so you have this cave that goes way down deep. And uh, for years, we would take groups there. And there was this one time, uh, me and another buddy of mine, we just went there and we thought, we'll go explore it for a little bit. And as I was down there, I thought, you know, I wonder what it would be like to live back in the old days before uh, electricity. <laughs> do you remember Tom's uh, children's sermon about asking the kids, what do they do if they didn't have electricity? And they said, turn on the flashlights. No, that's still electricity, kids, right? So, I mean, even before that, when you had to do just lamps and lanterns. So I was down there and I said, here, take my light, take my cell phone even, I gave him. And, uh, and my, my buddy left the cave and I had no light. And it was in complete, complete darkness. And I thought, yeah, I'll figure it out. And as he left, pretty soon panic started to set in a little bit because I couldn't see a thing. You couldn't, you couldn't see your hand right in front of your face. You couldn't. It was the blackest darkness I have ever experienced in my life. And I had to just sort of feel along the edges of the cave. And there's all kinds of things to trip over. Um, it was really a pretty dumb decision on my part to do this. But it did teach me this one thing. Darkness. Outer, pitch, black, utter darkness is devoid of any hope. And Jesus in this moment enters into hopelessness to receive upon himself the full penalty of your and my sins and the sins of the world. You know, when my dad came to rescue my sister and I um, that December 24th, uh, he drove alone. He made the whole trip by himself. But do you know why he drove alone? He did, because, he did it because there would be room to carry us home. Jesus goes to the cross alone. And he does so to carry you home. You are the forgiven. And he is our rescuer upon all of these types of individuals. I want you to see Jesus' response for Judas. He welcomes you even when you betray him. Jesus knew what was going to happen, right? Jesus was there. Judas is coming. Clearly Jesus knows and could have called the angels down then. But no, he goes alone. And instead he allows Judas to welcome him. Or allows Judas to come because he welcomes Judas to come. For Malchus, even um, when you hurt him, he loves you and heals you. Here's the guy that was coming to hurt Jesus. Here was the fighter who was coming to start something. But Jesus loves him and heals him. And for Peter, he gives to you even when you abandon him. That moment when Jesus looks and sure enough, the roosters crowed. And this is real late. This is probably 3 a.m. in the morning. There's a um, Mark tells us that of the four watches at night because they didn't have clocks. Uh, they had four watches, and they had the uh, kind of a town crier, or a guy would blow the horn or ring a bell. Well, that guy for the 3 a.m., this is the third watch, they called him the cock crow. That's what they called him. So this is likely about 3 a.m. That's probably what Jesus is referencing here, probably not an actual rooster. But this is late, all right, really, really early in the morning. And Jesus looks after this third denial and locks eyes with Peter. And Jesus could say in that moment, man, that was my best guy. That was my number one. I'm done. Angels, let's go. Let's go. Fix this thing. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives his life. He gives all that he has for Peter. So what do we do with this? What, what's our response? 
As we conclude this morning's message, looking at Jesus as our rescuer, I'd like to ask you to turn to our New Testament reading for this morning, to the book of Colossians. Bonnie led us there in Colossians chapter 1. There's a passage that helps us to see how we respond to Jesus as our rescuer. I have it for you in your um, sermon notes. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like to uh, challenge you to underline and highlight these things. If you um, would like to, you can also do so on your outline that you've been given. In Colossians 1, 9 through 14, Paul tells the church how they should respond. Look what he says. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may what? Here's our response. That you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Remember, of those four people, which one are you? You're for, say it loud now. You are forgiven, right? You're the one who's been forgiven. Because of that, live a life worthy of the Lord. And please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. That you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. When my dad came to pick my sister and I up, we drove back grateful. We, we rode back with him, our rescuer, as those who had been saved. Uh, hey, Dad, is there anything I can do for you at the house? Is there anything you need a hand with? Come on, you name it. You, you bailed us out. What can I do for you? This is our response to God. For he has rescued you. He has forgiven you. He has drawn you back to him by going alone to the cross. So all of these are afforded to you because of what he has done. So here's what he has done. The father who has, watch this, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. What did Jesus say? Right? To those coming to arrest him, this is your hour when darkness reigns. But Easter's coming, church. And he has taken us. Look what it says, verse 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's the kingdom of light. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Did you catch the first song that we sang today? All my hope is in Jesus. Amen. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterdays. Say it. It's gone. All my hope is in Jesus. He's forgiven my sins. My sins are no longer mine. So what's your response, church? It's here printed for you in blue. Our response to our rescuer is to live a life worthy. To be filled up to the measure of the fullness. To be strengthened. To have endurance and patience with great joy. And giving thanks to God. Don't be like Judas. Don't be like Malchus. Don't be like Peter. Be like those who have been forgiven. Let's pray this morning.